Welcome to Global Leader Radio, sponsored by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. Now here's your host, Director of Business Development and Instructor of Management for the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University, Alvin Miles. Well, happy Monday and welcome to another informative edition of Global Leader Radio. Today, we have two leaders with deep experience in organizational development, talent management, leadership, etc., and we're very happy to have them here sharing their expertise, ideas, and advice with our learning community. So with that in mind, we uh, first of all will want to introduce you to Miss Virginia Means. Hello, hello. Fantastic. So Virginia brings over two decades of senior human capital leadership and consulting experience on behalf of both global and domestic organizations. She's a board advisor for SHRM, the Society of Human Resource Management. She serves uh, and have served on several nonprofit boards of directors, and uh, she's a very sharp lady. I like that. Well, thank you so much, you're, Alvin. You're quite Pleasure welcome. to be here. Yeah, and you're well-learned as well. So you attended the Wharton HR Business School, and you got your undergrad degree from the University of Georgia as well. So, again, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we also have Dr. Vincent Eugenio. Are you okay with me calling you Vince? Absolutely. Oh, That'll be fantastic. Well, very good. Well, you're a seasoned HR professional with over 24 years of experience at organizations such as uh, My Old Stomping Grounds, AT&T, mm-hmm. Bank of America, Ron Start, which I believe you may too, uh, you two may have met. Absolutely. Virginia used to be my boss. Really? Is yes. that how it works? So best she, boss ever had. Best boss you ever had. It was Except that? for Sylvia Taylor, who's my current boss. <laughs> Now, that was the right answer, yeah, am I correct? Absolutely the right answer. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll start off with a series of questions. And, you know, uh, typically we, we do segments where we have an individual and we kind of go deeply into your own background, et cetera. But today we're going to mix it up a little bit because there are no rules. At Global Leader Radio, we're here to have uh, great conversations uh, on matters of importance with people who really care and are passionate. And so with that in mind, we'll get started with uh, with you, Vince. So, um with regard to talent review, those the terms such as talent review and succession planning, et cetera, um, what is a high potential employee? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question, Alvin. But before I get into the definition of what a high potential person is, I'd like to share with everybody an old Chinese proverb, which really relates to our conversation today around the importance of potential. Good. If you want one year of prosperity, grow grain. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. If you want 100 years of prosperity, grow people. Great. And that's really the focus of what I've been doing over these last numbers of years is helping to grow people. People at all levels within the organization, individual contributors, managers, all the way through to executive leaders. All right. So that's what you would uh, categorize as high potential? No, uh, I would say that uh, it was really just more of a philosophical perspective and kind of how I look at things. Okay. But as I think about uh, high potential leaders, you know, first of all, we have to identify who these leaders are. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't identify them carefully, then we potentially risk promoting the wrong people or investing in the wrong people, which could cause fairly significant impact within an organization. So one way you go about doing uh, or identifying people is through a formal assessment process. And that's typically called the talent review process. So when we think about looking at potential and assessing potential in organizations, we have to have some type of formal process. The first thing we have to do is understand 
that there's a difference between performance and potential. And I'll talk more about that later, Alvin, if that's okay. Great. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, but, but continue. Okay, great. So as we think about the talent review process, it's really important that we have an understanding of the difference between, as I said earlier, potential and performance. And oftentimes, performance consists of two pieces. So the results that we have gotten as a leader, and also, two, how do we go about getting those results? Because leaders can get results but leave a wake of broken glass in their path if they're not careful. Almost collateral damage, right? Exactly. So they can pursue their own objectives without considering that there are others around them that help them to achieve those objectives. So those people who really show potential have an acute understanding of their impact on others. So as we think about our potential and assessing that, we look at performance. So what do they achieve and how do they go about achieving that? Then we also, too, look at research-based measures of potential. So it's performance and potential. And potential looks at things like, um, does this individual have executive presence? Will other people follow them? Do they have something that's called learning agility? So do they learn from their mistakes? Can they take feedback well? And do they have the intellectual capacity to achieve a more complex role in the organization? Another research-based metric of potential is um, the ability to achieve a more complex role. So that individual should typically be operating at a more complex level within the organization based on what they're trying to do around strategy development, leadership of people, et cetera. Those three components together equal potential, not performance that people often confuse with potential, which I'll talk more about later. Which is fantastic. I I appreciate you for going to that level of detail. So what do you think about that when it comes to uh, what was just described so eloquently, of course? Virginia, what are your thoughts around potential versus performance? I agree with Vince 100%. I think the learning agility is a key component. Do people learn from their mistakes? Are people willing to take the feedback? Are people willing to sort of move and groove and change Mm -hmm. with the business environment? Being flexible, right? Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, what I really like about uh, what was explained across the board is learning agility. Is that that akin to speed, the ability to really get it and process it, debrief perhaps, and then come back with an even stronger, deeper understanding of what you did and how you can apply it in a larger sense? Absolutely, Alvin. That could be one. Uh, attribute of it. Okay. It's also, too, even more importantly, is learning from your mistakes. Okay. So yes. having that uh, perspective and that insight into yourself as a person and as a leader and understanding deeply that when you do make a mistake, how do you integrate that into making yourself a better leader? Because we have an, a cultural attribute in, at the Weather Channel companies called risk tolerance. So it's the ability of a leader to take a calculated risk, but understanding, though, the variables that go into that risk without just blindly walking into it, and then having the wherewithal, if a mistake is made, to learn from that almost um, in, in a way of uh, an investment because one of the ways that we develop leaders, which I'll talk about later too, is really putting a leader in a situation where they grow and stretch, and just by the very nature of growing and stretching, 
you naturally risk them making mistakes. Yes. But the opportunity is learning from those mistakes. Right. Not so that, punishing those mistakes. Exactly. So that they're not fearing, fearing failure. Exactly. Right. And I think one of the things that's really, really important as well for a leader is to not only identify their own learning agility, but also identify the opportunities to teach others. Mm-hmm. So when others make mistakes, when people on your team take risks, they don't work out the way that you expect them to. How are we motivating those people to continue to stretch themselves in a calculated, as Vince said, in a calculated fashion? And the calculated fashion, I would imagine, has to do with the actual um, uh, program that is is a high potential leadership program, correct? Uh, that could be one piece of it. Um, in various jobs I've had, I've helped the organizations to understand the a 70-20-10 development model. Okay. 70% of the development actually happens on the job through special projects, stretch assignments, maybe opening up a new line of business, etc. 20% is informal, mentoring and coaching. 10% is programmatic. It's the Wharton School of Business. It's um, some type of formal leadership development program. Most of the development that's really impactful happens on the job. But you have to create a structure, though, on the job for that opportunity to really be meaningful, mm-hmm. not just an opportunity for the leader to fail. They have to be surrounded with a support structure to ensure, at least ensure as highly as possible success. Well, and I also want to kind of pick up on what Virginia said earlier about the opportunity to teach others. In Kennesaw State University's executive MBA program, on the first day you begin our program, you're on an intact team of six, seven, or eight people. And so with that in mind, can you speak a little bit to the ability to work in teams and how important that is at your various roles, of course, that you've come through, and Virginia, yours as well? Absolutely. Vince, you want to take a shot first? Uh, sure. But first I wanted to comment, Virginia, on the uh, just the um, comment that you made initially around um, leaders developing other leaders. That is one of the critical success factors that are assessed when uh, people are looked at for potential is do they actually develop their team rather than focus exclusively on themselves. Because that's another key attribute of leaders is the ability to create other leaders to the point that Virginia is making. So in that whole point around, uh, I'm glad you made that point because we're looking at whether or not they can do that at the peer level which then proves that they can perhaps do it when they move up. Am I correct? Exactly. Okay. It's not only coaching those that directly report to them, but it's also providing feedback sideways and upwards because they need to be considered a valuable source of feedback within the organization because the insights that they have are of value to others other than their direct reports. So are you saying it's not about position power, it is about influence? Exactly. Cross-functional influence. Absolutely. Okay. Well, great. So what are the pros and cons of disclosing potential? Because I would imagine that, you know, it's, it can almost be like a have versus have-nots. And that's exactly right, Alvin. Um, some organizations believe in disclosing um, potential, others don't. According to a study by Watson Wyatt, approximately 72% of organizations do not disclose a potential rating to the very reasons that you're, that you're talking about. Um, if a potential rating is disclosed, it naturally creates almost a sense of entitlement within the individual that it's disclosed to. And you run the risk of losing these high potentials because now they suddenly have an expectation, an expectation for promotion. So if a promotion doesn't happen quick enough, you actually risk losing that individual. They might have an expectation for more money and more positional 
authority. There's also, too, to the other point that you made, Alvin, around um, those folks who have not been identified as a high potential. Well, what about me? Mm. You know, why am I not being talked to? Where's the investment in me? Do I not perform that well in the organization that no one is looking after my interests? Why is Jack suddenly now getting all this attention? And there's also, too, an effect around um, those folks who have not been identified as high potentials sabotaging the career that of those that are identified, putting subtle organizational roadblocks that would better position those per people who are not rated as a high potential over those who are. So there's many risks that organizations run when they do identify potential. So many organizations, according to the Watson White study, actually stay away from stay that. Stay away from it, which, which makes sense in those situations. Yep. And now, Virginia, you spent a lot of time consulting, correct? I did. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your consulting practice? Sure. Um, I'm with VCG Consultants. I'm the um, HR practice leader, and we specialize in HR and benefits consulting. Um, we align people strategy with business strategy. So um, we're all about achieving those optimal results. Ah, so with that in mind, of course, and listening to what we heard Vince say earlier, when someone is left off the HIPO list, mm-hmm. and then, uh, of course, the, the organization is, is charged with managing that. And, for example, if they bring you in to do some consulting and you start looking around, you've got an OD background, organizational development background, you can probably see those disconnects or that dissonance, right? Absolutely. You certainly see that. And it, it depends on the culture of the organization. If the culture is transparent and financial results are shared and the good, the bad, and the ugly is kind of out there for everyone to see and learn and grow from, you tend to see those types of organizations share the high potential information. Others which may need to be more guarded. I mean, it really it does depend on, on the culture um, of the business. Then you tend to see exactly what Vince said, you know, sort of hold that information maybe a little closer to the vest, but those identified folks might somehow have mentors that approach them. And there are other ways of really honing in on those top performers or those high-potential folks uh, without saying, hey, you're part of a special program. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, Vince, your thoughts on that? No, I think that Virginia raises a great point around uh, honing in on those people who might be considered a part of a special program because it's really not. Potential is really a point in time because you could be a high potential one year and not be a high potential another. It's Just not a snapshot. A, it's not a permanent rating because right. variables can change, responsibilities can change, you can change job. And suddenly now you move from a high potential to uh, uh, someone who would be considered maybe a high professional. Interesting. So I would imagine that the point of being on these high potential programs or in these high potential programs is to really get to a career sweet spot. But I could be wrong. So kind of help me with that piece of it. What is the reason for that? Is, is that so that they can continue to keep the succession planning ready to bench is staffed, as it were, or is it really to try to get to an individual's sweet spot where they work best, where they function best for the organization? Or is it a combination of both, Virginia? I'd say it's a combination of both. You actually are trying to, I mean, ultimately, we're trying to achieve, achieve business results. Okay. So depending on where you are in the business spectrum would be what your program needs to look like. Also, depending on who you've got on the bench, what your succession model looks like will depend on whether you sort of 
turn up the volume, turn down the volume, turn up the bass, turn down the bass, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so it's like mm-hmm. managing an orchestra, right? Mm-hmm. It is like managing an orchestra. Vince? And, you know, Alvin, you and I were talking about sports prior to uh, us starting. And um, I'm going to play off of Virginia's comments. It's, it's like almost building a bench of athletes mm-hmm. in a way. So how do you build capability within your team so they can fill critical roles as those roles come available? So, for example, if you're looking to expand into another business, who on your current team who really understands your core business, who you have a high level of trust in, who you truly understand what they can or can't do, can fill that role? So, again, it's that bench so it's identifying and further strengthening that bench is one of the core benefits of doing that succession plan. Also, too, having that ability to plug people in if someone was, in quote, to get hit by the bus, mm-hmm. as we sometimes say when we talk about succession planning. So who can fill Vince's role if he gets hit by a bus? So always looking at that possibility of someone leaving the organization or assuming another role and making sure that you have the right talent ready to move now into those positions. Because having talent that's ready to move in two or three years is not going to help organizations that are quickly evolving. So to maintain uh, your ability to be nimble as an organization, you have to stratify that. So you're saying now is within zero to six months, three months perhaps, a year? It could be. That's, uh, different organizations have different ways around okay. putting time on high potential talent. But it typically means ready now okay. or ready later. Okay. So someone who's ready later might require a further investment. They would be considered um, a high potential, but they're not necessarily ready now. Yeah, and there's also another uh, component I see a lot, too, or hear a lot around mobility. Yes. So are you able to move? And move has different connotations, but from the uh, background I have, move means you're, you can move from perhaps from Atlanta to a Dallas now. Exactly. And that now may involve um, relocation, and then, then again, it may not. So that involves your family. So it halos out a lot larger. So as you can tell, this is much more than just a professional conversation. This also dips into the personal side, right, Virginia? Absolutely true. You have to take the whole person into uh, consideration when you're, when you're looking at who is ready, mm-hmm. um, sort of professionally and personally, to make those jumps, make those changes into other businesses as well as into other cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when I when I have conversations with those who have been on these type of um, high potential leadership um, lists, as it were, and then they, they, for example, decided to get off the wheel, as I've heard them say, mm-hmm. then what they said was, you know, I, I uh, aligned my profession with my personal, and I realized that I have what I need. This is enough. I've gotten where I need to be. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, um, when you look at, of course, we started our conversation with talking about high potential leadership, but I must confess, I did not step back and say, so what is your ideal thought and definition of what leadership actually is? Well, I'd like to defer to Virginia because to <laughs> me, she's been the model of a leader. And maybe I could take that for uh, a, a couple seconds. Fantastic. You know, to me, when she and I had worked together, she was deeply engaged in the organization. She understood the pulse of the organization. She was well-respected in the organization, and she had a consistent track record of delivering results and building teams, all attributes of someone who would be considered in many organizations a high-potential leader. 
fantastic. And, and we did talk earlier before we came on air about the Mutual Admiration Society, and certainly <laughs> it's in play here. So with that no in doubt. mind, Virginia? <laughs> no doubt about that. Thank you, Vince. That's really very kind of you. But I have to say that there's a book called Don't Follow Me, I'm the Leader, and it's by Dave Dunnigan. And you were asking earlier, Alvin, about the importance of working in teams. And I have to say, for the definition of leadership as well as um, the importance of leader, leading in te- or working in teams, this is really a very important book. The whole concept is a real leader understands the importance of empowering other folks and really sees it as a great privilege to serve as a leader. And that really is you know, it, it's a part of my purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, my purpose is to enable others to achieve their goals. And I think that that's really very important for a leader to understand. Well, very good. And so the question I always hear, and the one I'd like to pose to you now is, in your opinion, how do managers and leaders differ? Ah, well, <laughs> they do differ, as you, uh, as you well know. And I have to say that um, there are a couple of sort of major differences between um, managers and um, and leaders. First of all, a manager is someone who sort of deals with the complexity and brings things, brings order to things. Um, they work on consistency, the things like quality, uh, product profitability, for example. They're involved with planning. They're involved with staffing and problem solving and organizing and budgeting and things of that nature. But leaders actually cope with change. That's really one of the differentiators I see. They also set a direction, and they align people, and they inspire motivation. So they sort of keep people moving in the right direction despite the obstacles. And I think... The best leaders really appeal to others' emotions and values. Um, So if you think about the military, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, troops aren't managed into war. They're led into war. That's the difference between management and leadership in my mind. Well, great. Vince, your thoughts? Well, I think Virginia really summed it up nicely. I would add on top of that is that I look at managers as controlling. So they control budgets. They control processes. They control staff, where, to Virginia's points, a leader is about empowerment and working through others to achieve goals. Now, uh, at one of the interviews I had done, I sat down with the, the CEO of a company, and he was interviewing me for a job to head up uh, learning and talent in a very large company. And he had said, Vince, what does leadership mean to you? And I said, you know, Bob, What leadership means to me is the ability of a leader to create a compelling, exciting vision of the future and aligning people against that vision and giving them the support and development they need to help achieve that vision. To me, that's what a true leader is. And the most effective leaders that I have seen are those folks who are able to deliver on that vision around where are we going and how do we tactically get there and what can I do to help you get there okay so great I appreciate that so how does your definition of leadership versus managers change when you think of global so when you add the global into the mix does it change anything or is it just a wider scope or give me your thoughts well I've had some global experience in the past and there are the cultural uh, 
uh, aspects, aspects and dimensions. That, exactly. That unless if you're really astute and are a student of the different cultures that you're working with, you can easily create faux pas as mm-hmm. a leader that are difficult, if not impossible, to um, recover from. Mm-hmm. And I have had one experience where I was working with a leader in an organization, and I overheard the folks talking about that American. He's always the center of attention and telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of interesting wow. because he was just trying to drive things forward, and he thought he had a receptive audience because they're going, great, that's wonderful, let's do it. But in effect, though, what he was doing was not appreciated culturally by this group of other leaders. So yeah, he was derailed. There's a, Vince is exactly right. And there's a great book out um, called Kiss, Bow, or Shake Hands. Mm. And I would recommend that. It's been revised a number of times. Uh, but I would recommend that for anyone who's going into a global situation because it will give you sort of uh, you know, what to do at dinner, what, how business meetings are different, et cetera, et cetera. So on a personal and professional level, it really sort of helps guide you based on the co- country culture. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and our program, interestingly enough, we looked across um, the spectrum at the way international residencies are done in an executive MBA program. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that most, if not uh, the, well, the vast majority of them, are one-way trips. So when we designed our executive MBA, we wanted to make it more reciprocal. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we actually work with a university in Bucharest, Romania, and we go there for seven days. And then we engage in a virtual project that lasts for the next seven months. And then they come here and we deliver on that project. So interestingly enough, the things that you mentioned are the things that we see a lot. Uh, understanding what happens in the culture, understanding how you talk to people, how you interface with the various genders, mm-hmm. what is said and, and, and what mm-hmm. should not be said, even down to how you should hand the card, your business mm-hmm. card to someone when right. you introduce yourself. Those as well as receive things. the business card. Mm-hmm. Very very good aspects. So Mm -hmm. when you talked about all the aspects of leadership and management uh, vis-a-vis feedback and being able to, you know, work interpersonally with people, that really adds a level of complexity that, you know, that we really wanted to focus on and really make sure that our graduates had a very good good grasp of it. Mm -hmm. So for those people who already have an MBA, what's the best way to get a feel for those subtleties, those those interpersonal subtleties. Because if they don't have an MBA, of course, they should be coming to our program. But that's just me. <laughs> Absolutely. That's just me. So what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, obviously, if someone's going into a certain country, you can search on the Internet and find out more about their culture. Okay. Um, I would recommend reading books to find out about the region of the country as well. But I think, you know, quick hits, that internet search can really, really Mm -hmm. help. And talk with others who may have experienced the same um, opportunities and, you know, what did they learn, et cetera. And Vince? Uh, There are some uh, folks that uh, offer some uh, quick hit uh, cultural immersions Mm -hmm. to help get you prepped for that uh, travel overseas. And one thing I found that is a very value, very valuable is, you know, laughing when I say this, is Rosetta Stone. And Rosetta Stone not only talks about how do you or teach the language, it also, too, teaches the cultural aspects. It's almost a, an immersion-type program because there's nothing like going to a, a, another country and actually being able to say a few appropriate words in their language. Uh, I think you received much better than someone who can't say anything. 
Absolutely. I have to say, Vince, it's a really good point. I um, had some CDs before we went to Italy, and it really did help sort of build my my confidence around, because they do give some of the background early on in the in the CD series. Not that I can speak Italian now, <laughs> by the way. But it was really a good sort of quick quick hit immersion, and it, it gave me confidence to ask questions mm-hmm. and things of that nature. Okay. So as the Senior Director of Talent and Organizational Development at the Weather Channel, of course, the Weather Channel deals with global weather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much do you deal with any uh, global talent today? Well, it's, it's interesting that you're saying that we're primarily based in, in the U.S. Okay. So the talent there is not globally. However, the uh, issues are still very similar. We still have to figure out who our high potential talent is. Mm-hmm. We have to prepare the managers or actually the executives to have the conversations around talent. We need to be able to provide the uh, guidance to make sure that potential is not confused with performance. Then we have to facilitate the conversation then around how do you take the high potentials then and developmentally, what do you do do with them? And then how do you identify the key roles in the organizations and align talent against that as you think about what's happening within the business? So even though we're not global in nature, it's still very similar from a process perspective in ensuring that we have the right talent in the right place at the right time. You know, so interestingly enough, when I thought through – this whole idea of high potential employees and cultivating high potential talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, we look at it from the employer's perspective. In other words, they need to get it right. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that they're choosing the right people for the right jobs vis-a-vis the, the various assessments and you know rotational assignments and yep. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly there is a great onus on the employee today. Because we know with the new generations coming into the workplace, I mean, they don't spend a long time in any one job. Right. So with that in mind, what are some of the common derailers for high potential employees? Okay. Well, you know, there's a number of, uh, of, of derailers. Um, you could have the greatest uh, high potential employee in the world. But if they're acting in a way that would be perceived as arrogant in the organization or if they betray trust of others, if they're cold, if they're aloof, if they don't staff uh, effectively, if they have excessive ambition. When I say excessive ambition, they're just thinking about themselves and advancing themselves, not thinking about how do they make the stars around them shine, maybe not having a strong uh, ability to think strategically, or even being able to or not being able to work with your boss because each of your bosses is going to have a different type of style. And if you can't adapt yourself to their style, how are you going to adapt your style to the style of other leaders within the uh, uh, organization? And then uh, oftentimes, too, having specific problems within the business. Mm. So not understanding the various business lines and how they help to make money for the business above and beyond your own functional area, not thinking holistically about the business. So there is a measure of competence that needs to be understood. This is not all just interpersonal skills. That's exactly correct. There's hard competences uh, associated with that. The ability to produce results Mm long-term and the ability to be an expert in your field all contributes to you being a high uh, high potential. And conversely to the inability to do those are what ends up being a common derailer for high potential employees. Exactly. So what are your thoughts, Virginia? When you think about um, common derailers for high potential employees, and I know you've, you've spent some time in a number of different um, organizations, and you're also a consultant. 
Um, so what are your thoughts? Well, I think Vince has hit the nail on the head. The one um, derailer that he mentioned that I think is just really, really critical and so very obvious uh, is the, the um, excessive ambition. Uh, it's the using I instead of mm-hmm. we. In fact, uh, you guys know Peter Drucker. Mm-hmm. The, uh, uh, he's a very well-known consultant and author and speaker. And before he died in 2005, he, uh, he sort of profiled some of the um, most successful executives. And one of the things that he found in terms of attributes was that the most successful executives use we, mm-hmm. not I. Interesting. You know, in my dissertation, I'm looking at the leadership styles and its effects on organizational performance. And uh, there is a concept called the full range of leadership model. And this talks about transformational leadership, transactional leadership, and the third, which is laissez-faire leadership. Mm -hmm. And so the differentiator between those three, uh, especially between transformational and transactional, a transformational leader uses we more Mm -hmm. and, and speaks in terms where it is not just about him or her. Obviously, that makes a big difference. And, p- and, and people sense that. They feel it. And you used the word arrogant before. Mm-hmm. Right. And they come off as less arrogant. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's actually a, a variable that you oftentimes test for in potential. Um, they, some people refer to it as emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And there's actually tools for assessing whether someone has that ability to think in terms of others rather than of themselves. So people need to be aware that um, sometimes one of the criteria for being on the high potential leadership list is taking those assessments. That's correct. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really a great point. And, and emotional intelligence, um, I'm actually certified in the emotional intelligence um, assessment. And I'll tell you that there are four different components. One is self-awareness. One is social awareness. One is self-management, and the other is uh, relationship management. And if you can really sort of understand where you are in those four components, where you want to be, and a lot of times what we'll do with executives is help them identify those gaps and then put plans together Mm -hmm. so that they can manage relationships better or understand the organization, you know, from a social standpoint, how do things really get done here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So typically I would ask the question, um, of whether or not you feel that leaders are made or whether or not uh, leaders are born. But you've answered that question. You said that leaders are made because you can get better. Once you take a snapshot of where you are today, that does not predict your future. That's right. And That's right. so when, 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 when you add in, of course, number one, behavior matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And number two, you can get feedback on your behavior and realize that sometimes you may be turning people off without even knowing mm-hmm. it. And once you get that feedback, then you can make the change that can get you in a position where you can qualify either for high potential leadership or leadership, period. Right. Because high potential leadership and the way we're discussing it today really is about what happens on the job. But leadership is 24-7, yes. 365. You exactly. That's a great point. And Virginia raised a great point, too, about uh, assessing leaders. Um, in a former job, um, we actually had a program called Insights into Leadership that we put our high potentials through. So you had to be on the high potential list to go to the program. Hmm. And we felt very strongly that in order for a leader to be effective, they need to understood or understand how do others see them, i.e. through a 360, how are they into impacting their team on a day-to-day basis? And we did something called an org climate survey. 
And then the last thing was an inventory of leadership styles, because oftentimes leaders will use one or two styles almost exclusively Mm -hmm. to the exclusion of other styles. And consequently, everything looks like a nail to them because the only thing they have is a hammer. (laughs) (laughs) So so consequently, they might uh, overuse a directive style of leadership or overuse a collaborative style of leadership. So those three assessments gave a very, very rich point of view around how this leader was perceived within the organization, which to Virginia's point then allowed very robust plans to be put together to make these folks better because you can't get better without having an insight into yourself and how others see you. And just because you have those insights, we also found a, um, and we're talking about the uh, learning agility piece. Mm -hmm. If you can't take that information and then move from point A to point B, you know, you're really not considered a high potential employee, even though you might be on that high potential list, because learning agility is a critical factor. And one of the things that we decided or talked about around learning agility was the ability to learn from mistakes or feedback that others have provided you. And I wish you could have seen uh, in class when we provided all the feedback data, Mm -hmm. and we actually had industrial industrial and organizational psychologists. Yep. IO psychologist helping to interpret the data real time, not at the specific employee level because they had summary statements, but from an instrument level. And you could hear a pin drop in the room as the leaders were getting the data on each of the assessment instruments because we took a two-day period to go through the instruments and then create the beginning of a development plan based on that. It was phenomenal. Most of the leaders really did a huge turnaround, not to say that they were bad to start with, Mm -hmm. but the improvement was almost immediately visible based on the feedback that they had provided or received through these instruments. It was a phenomenal process. And that is such a great learning opportunity for executives because some are going to be strong in some areas, others Mm -hmm. will be strong in other areas. So, you know, you can kind of belly up to the bar with your pal over here who's great with motivating others and learn from him or her about that. And then he or she can come to you and talk with you about your strengths and learn from you as well. So it's really a great way for the organization, once again, to be transparent. So we all know what the culture looks like. We know what the gaps are at Mm -hmm. this point. And then we can learn from one another. So, um, Absolutely. That's that's an important part of understanding how you get better as a leader. Mm-hmm. And if I might dovetail with what you were just saying, Virginia, the, the other piece I would add to it is that we can hold each other accountable. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because now that we're transparent, that's when you can really get help. And so typically what I find is that we have a lot of students, and our students are mid-career professionals. So they're in the 39 average age, 17 mm-hmm. years, been you know they've been working for like 17 years, and they're actually moving up a ladder. And so they... I mean, who doesn't need help? We right? all do. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And that's where coaching and mentoring comes in, yep. correct? Mm-hmm. You okay. bet. So how important is it, uh, Vince, for your employees and leadership to be lifelong learners? It's extremely important because once you stop learning, you stop growing. Once you stop learning, you stop investing not only in yourself, but you stop investing in others. And I think that's when a lot of leaders plateau out is when they stop making that investment in themselves and in their team. And then they become what are called blockers. Mm. They're blocking others then who could be better positioned to take over their role. 
And that's a critical piece. Not only do you talk about high potential right. within the assessment process, but you talk about who are your core employees that you want to keep and invest in. And you also talk about those who need attention because there's nothing worse for a high performer and a high potential because they're both valuable to the organization. It's not just about potential. There's also to something called your high professionals who are the core of the organization who knock the ball out the park all the time but don't have the potential to advance significantly within the organization. If they see those folks who others know someone needs to do something about John, Jane, or Sue and nothing's getting done, it's very, very demotivating for them and creates a culture that you don't want to have that's based on kind of um, no one taking into account poor performance. Yeah, and that, that's a key. So, Virginia, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's, you know, absolutely critical. You, you've got to have that um, ability to learn. You've got to have the ability to grow. Um, and, you know, exactly what Vince said. I think, I think he's absolutely right. We have so often seen people who have terrific results. We promote them because they have terrific results, right. and why shouldn't they be the mm-hmm. manager or the leader of this department or function, right? Correct. They've got great results. Well, we need to look at how they get results mm-hmm. and what's their ability, ability to motivate others to get results. We have significant individual contributors, and we need those folks. We need, need those high mm-hmm. professionals, as, as Vince said. Uh, but they're not necessarily the same people that will be leading others. Now, they can uh, lead in, in certain mm-hmm. ways um, through behaviors, but that doesn't mean that they need to be responsible for others. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, you know, the conversation we had a little earlier, uh, I know, Vince, you swerved a little bit into it, uh, my next question. And I want to set this up by saying you mentioned that you were in transition at a certain point. You obviously worked for uh, Virginia some years ago, and then you were in position in uh, transition, and you came over to the Weather Channel, mm-hmm. right? So um, today, we hear a lot of people in transition, and I have to give a plug to my buddy Tom Darrow of at Talent Connections and Career Spa because he works with people in transition. And when they're in transition, I'm hearing a lot of one certain type of uh, job, which is consultants. Mm -hmm. So certainly you're in that vein today uh, in terms of consultancy. So what is the gravitational pull for someone to become a consultant? What is the gravity? Let me think about that for a moment. So... I think that people believe they're experts in certain areas and they are interested in you know, imparting their knowledge and experience uh, to other organizations. Mm-hmm. So they are, you know, they get into it because they believe they can add value to organizations. Yeah. So when you look beyond that, though, they quickly should realize that this is a business. This is a business. It's not just about being able to impart your wisdom. You've got to, first of all, you've got to go and there's an element of sales Mm because you have to get a client. That's right. Correct? Can you kind of walk us through some of the high-level things that that one needs to consider? Sure. Business development is absolutely critical within consulting. And by the way, it does, business development, uh, getting gigs or engagements doesn't happen overnight. You really have to develop relationships. We've been talking a lot about that in terms of high potential today. How do you develop relationships? How do you motivate others? How do you influence others? It's no different in consulting. So when you are out trying to develop business, it's all about building the trust with your potential clients. It's also about paying it forward. 
It's about giving some maybe advice or guidance or counsel to others, and they will remember you. Um, It's about staying top of mind um, continually. You you can't just sort of reach out to someone once and expect that they're going to throw business your way. Exactly. You just need to maintain those relationships and be seen as an advisor. Okay. So if you you don't mind, I'll take it just a step a little deeper here. So what is the ratio of men to women in the consultancy arena that you know of? Hmm. I would say, I, I think it's pretty even. Okay, pretty even mm-hmm. across the board. Mm-hmm. And so you're saying that really, uh, there's really not one gender that looks to consultancy more than the other. But really on the other side, how would you describe a company's consultants' needs as they progress through their life cycle from startup to maturity? So, you know, one of the things that... Um, I like to, you were talking about Tom Darrow earlier, and he mentioned, I had the good fortune of listening to uh, him and to Pam Beckerman last week ah. uh, when they were on your show. Great show, by the way. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, he mentioned The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that um, that book was was really, I think, re- important to me. And as I closed the cover after I re- read it, um, it occurred to me that life is the superset and work is a subset and purpose is the long-term endeavor. Hmm. So well if put. you, it, thank you. And, and if you really think about life in those terms and how flexibility plays an important role at certain times in your life, consulting can fit that model quite well from time to time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's really looking at it from a professional perspective, mm-hmm. but, but is it much different from a personal aspect as well? I mean, if you're not getting quote-unquote paid for it, if you're working with your charitable organization or your church group or whatever, certainly lending your expertise and taking it from one vein, the professional vein, to the, to the, um, to the personal vein, you've been able to do that, I'm sure, from time to time. Right, Vince? Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I'll be, I'm going to be doing that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so at uh, Roswell United Methodist Church, there's a uh, job seekers group. And now, since I'm finally getting regrounded back in Atlanta, I've been here about six months now after moving back from Philadelphia, I'm a certified career management coach, and I know what it feels like to be in transition, mm-hmm. and it's a painful process. Okay. And I'm committed now to helping others in that situation get through it as efficiently and effectively as possible by helping them to develop a strategic and tactical plan to move from unemployment to employment. So I'm going to have my first discovery meeting tonight with the uh, Job Seekers Group. And to Virginia's point around a purpose-driven life, I feel that I'm in the point of my career and in my personal life where my, my almost empty nester, right. so there's less demands being placed on me from kids, and I can now see my way toward giving much more back than what I have received in the past. Yeah, and I know Tom spent some time with us last week again, and, and his whole talk was around servant leadership and being able to contribute and give. Mm-hmm. So really, you're focusing on that again. Exactly. So I think the uh, word for all of our listeners on Global Leader Radio uh, is to make sure you understand that you are held accountable for giving in some way, shape, form, or fashion, because that is part of the fulfillment in life, correct? That's right. Absolutely. There's, there's a really interesting book out. It's called Go Givers Get More. And I think that is the philosophy that you guys are talking about here, really sort of paying it forward. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really true. If you're a go-giver, 
not a go-getter, but <laughs> go-getters are important, but a go-giver will typically see things sort of come back around to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if we continue our conversation really around high potential leadership um, events for organizations that want to identify and certainly build their bench, what could be some of the quick hit wins they could walk away with? Well, I would say the first thing that an organization could do is start the talent review process. Uh, oftentimes, uh, folks get hung up on, oh, my gosh, this sounds very complicated and difficult to do. It's really a facilitated conversation around talking about people mm-hmm. and their ability. So start somewhere and have that conversation, uh, and you'd be shocked at what the payoff can be because you've suddenly now elevated talent to something that is important to talk about at the executive committee. As I said earlier, again, it doesn't have to be a sophisticated, complex process. Start the conversation. It could be just very, very simple. Look up three or four definitions of what potential is. Using Virginia's example on Google, it's all over the place. <laughs> Look at what their performance has been year over year by using the performance management data. Okay. And then if your company has cultural values or uh, cultural attributes, um, assess the individual on those as well. So it's a combination of performance plus an assessment of the cultural attributes. How does that person behave? And then having a conversation around two or three variables that drive potential. Don't get hung up on addressing six, seven, or eight, or she'll never get through the process. And then facilitate the conversation, document the results of that conversation, and ensure that you follow up around those people that are going to be worth developmentally investing in, investing and keeping those who are the core of the organization, and taking action on those folks who are causing the organization to move backwards rather than forwards. It's not that hard to do. You know, I think Vince is absolutely right. And for the listeners who have the ability and the scope and their responsibility to um, make that a part of the culture, that is fantastic. But I would also encourage people who are not responsible for global organizations or even their own, you know, companies maybe based just here in Atlanta, um, for them to, for any manager to take these same steps that Vince has outlined and identify high potential within their teams. Mm-hmm. Start, okay. you know, start it now Excellent. so that you can become um, sort of a, uh, you can build the model and share it with others and it becomes a part of the culture more organically. Mm-hmm. You do have the power to do that within your or- own organizations, even if you're not responsible for the entirety. Yeah, That's so, a great point. So let's pull on that on that thread of empowerment. So you've both given us some great insights on quick hits that uh, companies can use, but you've obviously looked at it from the point of view of the employer. So let's flip the coin around, and what, let's talk about the employee. What can that person do to continue to build uh, some some momentum and some opportunities, perhaps, that they can talk about or put on a resume when they're thinking about how they can get themselves in a position to get on the bench? So, so I'll take a stab at that yeah, quickly. <laughs> so I, Vince talked about, you know, reading books and articles and, and things of that nature. I think that's really important. In fact, uh, May 31st of this year, uh, Harvard Business Review came out with the top 10 articles on leadership. I would encourage anyone who's interested in leadership to read those articles. They're really very powerful. Um, nice summaries of some books, et cetera. So 
that's reading, but then also pitching ideas to your boss. You know, if you see an opportunity to improve a customer experience or generate a new revenue stream, take it, you know, build it, share your ideas, share your thoughts. Become an entrepreneur. Become an <laughs> entrepreneur, absolutely. Um, ask for special assignments. Hey, mm -hmm. this, I heard you talking about this is something that we're, we're going to go do. How can I help? Can I get on that assignment? Uh, I want to grow. I want to develop. Make it known that, that you want to be developed. Find a champion in the organization, someone who will look for opportunities for you. And, you know, my favorite is really seeking multiple mentors. And, and I think Tom talked Most about that. Most excellent, yes. Yeah. Create your own advisory board, if you will, of mentors. I think those are, are really very, very important. But the bottom line is, you know, create your advisory board and look for mentors for yourself but also mentor others. Very good. Mm -hmm. So not only are you looking to get, again, you, you can hone your skills by cer certainly being able to apply that. That's right. And so, Vince, your thoughts. Well, you know, I think Virginia raises some really good points around um, being invested in your own development. And, it, you know, it's kind of interesting because I've had the responsibility for performance management in three companies. And I've always helped to improve the process by embedding into the performance management process a conversation around career aspirations mm -hmm. formally. So where do I want to go in my career? And developmental conversations around two perspectives. One, around how can I be better at my job? And then also, two, how can I develop to achieve my career aspirations? And what I think folks need to recognize, too, is that not everyone has career aspirations. Some folks are fine where they are. They just want a job. They, mm -hmm. Well, they just want to do a good job yeah. with what their responsibilities are, and they have no interest in advancing. And, you know, since we were talking about potential so much, that's a key identifier as well, a drive for um, that next role and a display of ambition. Uh, granted, we talked about ambition being a double-edged sword, but it's really okay not to have career ambition, but you should focus still on being better in your job. So to the points that Virginia raised, it's kind of, you know, surrounding yourself with that board of advisors that can help take me, Inc., and move that forward. But to the point that we've been talking about all along, it's about giving back as well. So how can you pay that forward, using Virginia's words, uh, to other folks in the organization? Because you can help others just as others can help you. And that you need, you need to be really cognizant of that and raise your hand to help others. And I think that's where there's a tremendous opportunity, I think, mm -hmm. as we think about these developmental conversations, is for a manager to ask their employee, well, I've just helped you. We just talked about what we can do to move you forward. What can you do to move someone else forward? Let's pay it forward That now. challenge, right? The yeah. challenge and accountability, the same thing. Yeah. You bet. So we like that. I mean, it sounds like you've put a couple of things in the mix here. You've put the objective side of it, mm -hmm. and you've also put some of the subjectivity in there as well, some mm -hmm. of those interpersonal aspects, because first of all, you've got to be a good performer or you won't be looked at as competent in your area. Exactly. Right. You've got to be really good at where you are. Uh, sometimes not exceptional, but at least good. Yes. And then at, at the other side of that, too, you've got to be able to uh, understand. And, of course, when you're good, that's objective data, mm -hmm. and that is the what. And that's important on that resume. Yes. yes and then is. you have to talk about how I got to it mm -hmm. and how I was able to move people. Because it's, if you look at it, it really is a volunteer army, even though you might have position power. Right. Mm -hmm. You still be, be able to got to move people and, mm -hmm. and get their hearts engaged as much as their minds. That's exactly. Okay? Yeah. And then there's that delta or that gap. 
that has to be identified. So it can either be identified from others or by reading and understanding who you are and the differences you bring and really where you want to go because nobody really knows where you want to go but you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good, fantastic. So um, when I look at uh, some of the things I wanted to talk about today and and one of the questions that we we brought up earlier, I want to pull on a little bit more, Virginia. Uh, Today, obviously, there are very... Uh, there's several generations in the workplace, and I heard it's either four or five generations in the workplace. Uh, that I'm not sure of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's the difference, or uh, what is different about cultivating high potential leadership today than what it has been in the past, such that this is something that leaders can really take and understand? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So decades ago, uh, there were numerous management layers. There was more time for mentoring. There was more time for developing. Then organizations right-sized and re-engineered, and you know, there were flatter structures and less management layers, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, you know, brings us to today. <laughs> large <laughs> jobs with large scopes and resp- of responsibility and, and really little time for managers to mentor and develop their teams. So what's different today about cultivating high-potential leaders, leaders is uh, – Really, the change in the marketplace occurs so much more quickly than it did traditionally, okay. uh, particularly because of technology. You know, what we buy today in terms of hardware is mm-hmm. outdated tomorrow, <laughs> literally. <laughs> so um, that the change is just huge. Agility is needed now more than ever, no okay. question about it. And, and managers um, typically... Um, there's just less time. There's just less time for them to develop their people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the structural design of the company, of course, is is different today. Flatter organization means less opportunities for promotion and less opportunities to move from place to place. Right, well, very good. Vince, your thoughts? Uh, no, I was just resonating with what Virginia was saying, and particularly around the time for managers to invest in others. I've heard that in every organization I've been in, and it's been getting worse hmm. to the point that Virginia had raised around flatter organizations, downsized organizations. Everyone seems to be stressed just to do the basics of their job. And then suddenly now, managers who don't understand that there's a leadership component to being a manager, right. which means developing <laughs> your staff, because yeah, right. the better your staff is, the better you're going to be. That's correct. They just don't have the time to make that investment, and some of them just don't have that point of view or perspective to make that investment. Well, thank you. And and I'll tell you that this has been a very enjoyable conversation, and I uh, wish we could continue to carry it on, but we both know, and all three of us know, we, we probably have some very important things to get done in, in the results area of what we do every day, right? <laughs> That's right. Yep. So I, I have enjoyed this immensely. But before we go, I must ask, uh, first of all, I'd love to ask you to come back again sometime soon. Thank you. Glad we can to. work Absolutely. this out yeah. because I know with your busy schedules, it's not always easy to make it here to Sandy Springs. Although, Vince, I think it may be a little different for you. You're not very right around far. the corner. <laughs> very good. Well, uh, so my last question is, which book has most impacted your leadership ability? So, Vince, would you like to take it first? Sure. And uh, well, I'm currently reading right now a book on decision-making ability because that's one of the things that we're trying to work through uh, at the Weather Channel. It's called uh, Decide and Deliver which is a fascinating book by Marshall Blanco and two other folks. But I think the books that have had the most impact on me have been more practical rather than aspirational, and it's been Personnel Decisions International's books on the effective manager and the effective executive. 
talking about competencies and the developmental needs associated in building those competencies has been a reference uh, for me for, gosh, the last 10 or 12 years. Yeah, impressive. Uh, Virginia? So Pam Beckerman last week mentioned Good to Great, and I have to agree with her. That's an excellent book by Jim Mm -hmm. Collins. But there's another one uh, that really resonated with me, and that's uh, On Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis. And it really, you know, the heart of that book is all about leaders are are not born, they're made. They really are made. And so it outlines examples and gives... um, some some great ideas around how to develop as a leader. Well, great. So Virginia Means of VCG Consultants and Vince Eugenio with the Weather Channel, thank you both for spending uh, a little bit of your time with us and importing us uh, with your wisdom for our learning community. Our pleasure. Thank you. And we appreciate you. So we look forward to getting together again next week and talk a little bit more about uh, leadership with Global Leaders Radio, discussing ideas that matter with people who care. See you next week. Global Leader Radio is brought to you by the Executive MBA program at Kennesaw State University. Take charge of your personal development and professional career today by learning more at ksuemba.com. And join us next week as we discuss ideas that matter with people who care.